This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. It is our first program of 2012, which is going to be a milestone year. And no, not because the world's going to end. We confidently predict on this program that the world, in fact, is going to be around for quite some time. We uh, have a lot of ground to cover on this week's show, and we're going to try and hit the ground running here. A bunch of dominoes are falling, and I'm trying to keep up with them. The dominoes started when, at work, one of my employees said he really needs a new filing system. The filing cabinet in the house, I thought, would do admirably. Over the last 10 years, we have put together files for this program that have filled up, well, basically, I guess you'd say four filing cabinets. It's presented a golden opportunity to clean them out, look at some of the things we've collected, refile them, and as we look forward this year, take some time to also look back over the last decade, which reminds me of a Winston Churchill quote I found among the files, which was, the longer you can look back, the farther you can look forward. So true. Let's start by looking back, as we always do in this program, with our feature on this date in history. Our date today is the 5th of January. Not one of the more remarkable days in history, if the truth be told. Because according to our source, which we tend to rely upon for this feature, which is Today in History, that book by the History Channel, we start out with this, January 5th, 1825. 23-year-old French writer Alexander Dumas fights his first duel. He sustains no serious injury, although his pants fall down in the fight. Like I said, if that made the cut, you know this is not one of the more <laughs> event-filled days in history. January 5th, 1855, the Long Island Railroad, foreshadowing modern piggyback carriers, begins transport of farm wagons on railroad flat cars in New York. Hey, like I said, not one of the more event-filled days. January 5th, 1919, Anton Drexter founds the German Workers' Party. Adolf Hitler is member number seven. In this date, 1934, the National and American Baseball Leagues agree to use baseballs of the same size. I, I had no idea they had, to, they had to decide on that. You ever hear that, Mr. McMillan? Absolutely not. There you go. Well, let's see. January 5th, 1940, FM radio was demonstrated for the first time to the U.S. Federal Communications Commission. The sordid tale behind that is something we would uh, refer you to the excellent Ken Burns' Empires of the Air series, telling the story of how corporate power trumped the, the individual inventor. Let's see, in this date, 1972, Richard M. Nixon announces the United States should proceed at once with development of an entirely new type of space transportation system designed to help transform the space frontier, blah, blah, blah. That was the notorious space shuttle, now discontinued. All right, uh, let's move on. We uh, sort of stumbled upon a mother load of quotes over the past decade, and I think I'll recycle some of these. I'm not sure we used all of them. We probably used most of them. But you know, if they're good enough, they probably deserve a second look. So I think we'll lump this group together as our 
quotes, quips, and jokes. Starting with Otto von Bismarck, who said, People never lie so much as after a hunt, during a war, or before an election. And dovetailing behind Germany's Iron Chancellor is actress Shirley MacLaine, who opined, It's useless to hold a person to anything he says while he's in love, drunk, or running for office. (laughs) Speaking of love, H.L. Mencken said, Love is like war, easy to begin, but very hard to stop. Wish the neocons had read more Mencken. And I wish the media in this country made, paid more attention to Samuel Johnson, who once said, Where secrecy or mystery begins, vice or roguery is not far behind. One from F. Scott Fitzgerald I like, Never confuse a single defeat with a final defeat. In the footsteps of that comes Will Rogers, who once said, The worst thing that can happen to you can be the best thing for you if you don't let it get the best of you. And looking back at some of the uh, files collected in the past decade, I've sort of been amazed at the uh, leeway granted some of our authorities to lie their butts off by our nation's media over things they sometimes weren't called on because the media was afraid it wouldn't appear objective. Quote from E.B. White, I've never seen a piece of writing, political or non-political, that does not have a slant. It slants the way a writer leans, and no man is born perpendicular. To which I would add, sometimes trying to get rid of that slant does more harm than good. Final quote from Dave Barry, who said, Magnetism, as you will recall from physics class, is a powerful force that causes certain items to be attracted to refrigerators. Notes Dave, magnetism is one of the six fundamental forces of the universe, the other five being gravity, duct tape, whining, remote control, and the force that pulls dogs toward the groins of strangers. All right, our stats of the day, new and old, are as follows. Actually, dateline June 26th, 09. More than 2.5 million U.S. companies filed corporate tax returns in 2007. But because of loopholes and write-offs, their payments generated just 15% of the total federal tax revenue per the Atlantic Monthly. Per Time Magazine in August the same year, Comedy Central's Jon Stewart, who delivers fake news and satire, is considered the most trusted newscaster by 44% of Americans, trouncing real newscasters. Brian Williams got 29%, Charles Gibson 19%, and Katie Couric just 7%. And a stat from our files, which frankly I find irresistible, is as follows. The formula for calculating how far away the horizon is is to take 1.225 and multiply it by the square root of the height of the observer in feet. That will give you your horizon in miles. So for example, you're looking out to sea from a height of 25 feet. Square root of that's five times 1.22, about six. Six being the the distance of the horizon in miles, six miles away. Go to 10,000 feet on Mount Shasta. Square root of 10,000 being 100, your horizon is 122 miles away. And yes, we realize this is a fairly useless fact What a fun one, just the same, don't you think? And Mr. Marilla and I apologize, but I just just found some more quotes. Let's do a few more, shall we? 
Cameron's just quoting Doug Sovereign, political reporter for KCBS Radio, who on his Twitter feed a couple of weeks ago said, Gov at Jerry Brown Gov will hold a year-end news conference next Tuesday to discuss accomplishments and milestones of 2011. Expect some Latin. Love this one by Robert Townsend. Consultants are people who borrow your watch and tell you what time it is, and then walk off with the watch. Quote from Jimmy Fallon from a couple years ago. There's a new technique that lets doctors perform kidney transplants in 45 minutes. Because when you're getting a kidney transplant, your main concern is always, how long is this going to take? Can you do this in less than an hour? And one final big stat from, uh, oddly enough, Sky and Telescope magazine is that it now seems official, NASA's Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer, the WISE Space Telescope, has looked around for chunks of rock that might plow into the Earth and discovered that our risk is lower than we thought. The WISE team found that there are less than 60% as many near-Earth asteroids or NEAs as had been earlier estimated. Amy Mainzer, who's been heading the team at Jet Propulsion Laboratory looking out into space, has said they now have found more than 90% of the really big asteroids. And while the search continues, uh, the team has met its goal, which was established by NASA back in 1998, of finding 90% of the NEAs larger than a kilometer. So I believe it's fair to say that the odds of the Earth getting smacked by an asteroid in 2012, among other disasters people are talking about, well, the odds are looking better. Let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week a couple weeks back for sleeping in. When on December 29th of last year, the citizens of Samoa and Tokelau went to sleep Thursday and woke up Saturday. Both Samoa and Tokelau decided to shift westward across the international dateline and make their time more in accordance with that of Eastern Asia. Turns out Samoa has been out of alignment with its Asian Pacific neighbors since 1892, when U.S. traders persuaded it to shift from the western side to the eastern side of the international dateline to facilitate business with the west coast of the United States. Now, what's curious is that American Samoa, less than 100 miles to the east, is not making the switch, which will make the western side of the Samoan island chain a day later than the eastern side. If you go to Samoa, don't forget to adjust your watch. And it was a bad week for Lion Realty in Sacramento last week with the news that the embattled former Sacramento real estate executive Michael Lyon is now being sued by two more women claiming he secretly recorded sexual encounters with them and passed on the recordings to third parties without their knowledge. Lyon had pled guilty earlier last year to surreptitiously recording sexual encounters of women who visited him at his home. You know, there's just something wrong with that phrasing. Because, I mean, I have women visit me at home, and that never, ever translates into videotaped sexual encounters. But hey, that's just me. And it was an ugly week for Hollywood public relations last week with the dubious allegation that Cheetah from the Tarzan movies had passed away at age 80. 
We covered this story before on Radio Parallax. The odds that that particular chimpanzee was the cheetah of Tarzan fame was dubious to say the least. And primatologists consulted have said that for a chimp to live into its 70s is really pushing the limit of chimp biology. 80 is tough to swallow. Of course, one good thing about this story, Mr. McMillan, it does give us the rare opportunity to play the Tarzan yell. All right, well, it, it, it wasn't Cheetah from the Tarzan movies, but doggone it, do that again. By the way, according to the Uncle John's Bathroom Reader, although Hollywood claimed for years that Tarzan Yell was a combination of blended sound effects, they admitted in the long run, no, it really was Johnny Weissmiller. Make a note, Mr. McMillan, our bumper music needs to be Tarzan Boy. But actually, we have an item that is, I think, both good and bad. Dateline Los Angeles, a proposed ballot measure that would require porn actors to wear condoms while filming in the city of L.A., has qualified for the June ballot. And while I suppose it's good to demonstrate responsible sexual behavior in the adult film industry, this initiative faces a legal challenge by the Los Angeles city attorney, who says that L.A. voters have no legal authority to adopt the proposed measure, even if it were placed on the ballot. And of course, if you did have, say, a married couple that were, you know, doing things on film and they were, oh, never mind. Now, another legal question remains, will realtors be required to wear condoms when surreptitiously filming people having sex in their home? That one we don't, we don't, we're not so sure about. Anyone from the real estate industry would like to call and clarify that? Well, we'll be happy to take the call. All right, final item from the good and the bad and the ugly file, an item that is both bad and ugly. Apparently down in Phoenix, the Arizona Humane Society is in major damage control mode in the wake of the following. Scruffy the cat, owned by heroin addict Daniel Dockery, was taken to a Humane Society center back on December 8th because she had been cut from a barbed wire fence. Apparently the agency said it would cost $400 to treat Scruffy, But Mr. Dockery, who is a recovering heroin addict, uh, didn't have the money. According to news reports, the Humane Society cited policy when it declined to accept a credit card over the phone from Dockery's mother in Michigan, or to wait for her to wire the money. The staff told him if he signed papers surrendering the cat, Scruffy would be treated and put in foster care. Instead, in the wake of things not reaching an accord, Scruffy was euthanized several hours later. This is where it really gets ugly. Stacy Peterson, described as a person hired by the Humane Society specifically to deal with media questions about the cat, said that Dockery's case had led to two changes. The Arizona Humane Society has now set up an account funded through donations that would cover the costs of emergency treatment of animals whose owners need a day or two to come up with money for payments. And the group is now accepting credit card payments by phone. Here's the part I like best. Apparently, uh, Ms. Pearson said the Humane Society told Dockery last week that when he's ready for another pet, he could come in and pick one out. (laughs) He apparently has declined the offer. We want to offer congratulations to uh, General Chuck Yeager for his admittance to the California Hall of Fame last month. General Yeager was very generous in granting us a great deal of time to talk with us about his experiences in World War II. 
and we have high hopes we will be able to bring him on this program again in 2012. I think he's a hell of a guy. The B had a photo of, uh, of, of Chuck Yeager speaking with Mike Love of the Beach Boys. And doggone it, <laughs> I would love to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation. Let's do a bit of follow-up. On last week's program, we were speaking with our good pal, Dr. Andy Jones from Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour. And uh, Dr. Andy brought up the fact that we'd had Dennis Kucinich on the program, and I mentioned that he was one of two presidential candidates we'd spoken to, and <laughs> I couldn't for the light of me think of who the other one was at the time. Uh, but of course, it came to me later. John Edwards. I guess the reason I blanked on it was that I've always loathed John Edwards. And frankly, I'm going to get a bit of a kick out of his uh, legal trouble. John Edwards is facing the legal music for the fact that, um, well, there's some issue of whether he violated some laws, some campaign contribution laws, by uh, accepting money to hide his mistress. His legal team is contending that, no, friends just made personal donations to help a friend in need. John Edwards is facing uh, $1.5 million in fines and up to five years in prison in case he's convicted for campaign violations. Apparently, Edwards had been negotiating with uh, legal authorities right up to the grand jury indictment last spring. But if he'd pled to a felony, it would have cost him his law license, and copying to a misdemeanor would have meant at least a brief stint in jail. So he's going to fight it. Anyway, we'll continue to follow that as the year uh, unfolds. It does remind me of a quote I found from Jay Leno, who said, In an interview in GQ magazine, John Edwards' mistress said she slept with him on the first day they met. But she wasn't his mistress. She was just playing the role, said Leno. Apparently, the audition went so well, she got the job. Also happy to note a series of articles in the Sacramento Bee this past year, noting that local food sales across the U.S. have become a growth market. We're encouraged by that. Refer you back to our archives for an interview with Michael Pollan about his book, The Omnivore's Dilemma, and his push for local food. One thing about uh, California's economic slowdown, with, along with the rest of the nation, is that uh, the rampant sprawl and development of all of our hillsides and farmland has slowed to a slowed to zero, which is, I think, certainly the silver lining of the the cloud of our current economic woes. And we have great fear in this program that once the economy starts to heat up again, we'll start to see more urban sprawl. We're especially concerned about the possibility that in Southern California, once they've secured more water thievery out of the Delta, that they will continue to uh, uh, build in the deserts and uh, dry arroyos of the Southland. Speaking of the Southland, San Diego's top newspaper apparently got bought up by a real estate developer a couple months ago. There's long been a rather sordid marriage in California between real estate developers and newspapers. I believe the Los Angeles Times made far more money uh, by hawking real estate and being involved in real estate transactions than it ever did by peddling papers. It was able to use uh, the newspaper as a means of promotion for real estate interests, including their own. That's another thing we're going to keep our eyes on in the coming year. And one current item that involves looking back, uh, I think we'll close with, 
which is as follows. Remember in the wake of, of 9-11 how we were going to increase our security in America by putting cameras everywhere? So I guess we could pluck terrorists off the street as they walked around American cities. Article from the B, reprint uh, by uh, reprint from the L.A. Times piece by Andrew Blankenstein and Richard Winton, noting that uh, when it comes to L.A. at least, uh, there appears to be a rather botched use of these downtown crime cameras. Notes the article. Most of these surveillance cameras installed in downtown L.A. as part of an effort to help police crack down on crime have not been working for two years. The cameras were installed over the past few years in a highly publicized partnership between local business groups, which purchased them, and the LAPD, which was to monitor and maintain them. Officials say the majority of the cameras don't work. Some broke down and were never fixed. In the case of six cameras purchased to watch over the Little Tokyo neighborhood, LAPD officials admit they were never plugged into the police station's monitoring bank. Now, remember how we were going to, like, put these cameras everywhere and we were going to thwart terrorism? They can't even thwart street crime in L.A. And out of the files came one remarkable uh, item from back in 2003, March of 2003. Uh, There was a great deal of question as to whether Saddam Hussein was actually the guy that appeared on TV condemning the bombings at the onset of the Iraq War. Now, keep in mind that these face recognition technology was using video images recorded in a TV studio and broadcast of Saddam Hussein. They had pictures of Saddam, as he was known from a million other photographs, and they were having a hard time deciding if it was really him. To quote from a March 2003 Slate.com piece, Mere hours after the Operation Iraqi Freedom commenced, a bespectacled Saddam Hussein appeared on Iraqi TV to deliver a pep talk. Some U.S. officials suspect the speaker was not really Saddam, but rather one of the dictator's many body doubles. We suspect that these quotes came from U.S. officials who had spent probably too much time watching Mission Impossible. Because I'm looking at these photos from 2003 and thinking, how is it they can't decide that that's Saddam Hussein? Same eyes, same nose, same mustache, same chin, same ears. I'm pretty sure it's not Martin Landau in a latex mask. Just as an addendum to this piece, item from June of last year, noting that Arkansas, Indiana, Nevada, and Virginia were not allowing drivers to smile for their license photos. More states were expected to follow suit because... These states use facial recognition software that has difficulty matching smiley photos with other pictures of the same person. Oh, I don't know if anybody mentioned this fact, but when it comes to this facial recognition technology, apparently it does not work if someone dons a disguise. Good God. Let's take a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett.